0: He was one of the first horses to stamp himself a Kentucky Derby hopeful. Now the connections of Maxfield hope a delayed derby will give him a chance to make it in time. Plus, we get a template of what American racing will look like when it comes back by examining European racing, which is already on the way back. It's all straight ahead on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They race out. And they're off. As they move to the top of the straight. It's a hit This is in the gate, ESPN's thoroughbred racing podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at babramsvoice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In the Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full in the gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app, and please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us, and as We look for positive developments during the coronavirus outbreak. How about if the powers that be at America's Best Racing discover us while they're all at home? Maybe, just maybe, we'll make it into their Fan Choice Awards for Best Podcast in November. Keep pushing for us. We're here pushing for you. This is the second in a series of profiles of horses who stand to benefit the most from the Kentucky Derby being run in September. Every year we talk woulda, shoulda, coulda for horses who showed so much promise on the Kentucky Derby Trail, only to be taken off the trail due to injury, some of them minor, some not so minor. This year, of course, some of those horses who would not have been ready on the first Saturday of May might very well be ready to qualify for the first Saturday of September. Last week we talked about Cezanne from Bob Baffert's stable, the horse we discuss this time if he reaches his full potential would bring to the world's foremost racing and breeding operation the one major prize it has never won. Here's Maxfield moving up on the outside to challenge Governor Morris off the far turn and Maxfield strides forward and takes the lead by a length and a half. Two lengths in the final furlong. Governor Morris second and Forcible third. The rest are far back. Maxfield, a breathtaking run at the top of the stretch. Kicks clear by six. Maxfield to win the Claiborne Breeders Futurity for Jose Ortiz. Maxfield, of course, is owned by Sheik Mohammed's Godolphin Stable, which has never won the Kentucky Derby. That win by Maxfield and the Breeders Futurity surely had Godolphin thinking Derby. That win followed a dazzling debut three weeks earlier in mid-September at Churchill Downs. It was expected that Maxfield would move on to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile in November, but a bone chip in his right front ankle derailed those plans. In fact, it wasn't until mid-February that Maxfield returned to the work tab, so clearly a Kentucky Derby run on time would have been all but out of the question. But a series of breezes, one of which was the bullet work of the day at Keeneland, has Maxfield ready to debut in the Matt Wynn stakes at a mile and a sixteenth at Churchill. That race now offers 50 points to the winner. To give us more insight on Maxfield's progress, we welcome in his trainer, Brendan Walsh, who joins us for the first time here on In The Gate. It looks like Maxfield's engine is purring pretty well right now. How does he look compared with last fall?
1: Uh, he looks a lot better, Barry, you know. I'm not going to say a lot better. He's filled out a lot more. You know, last year he was very much a... The frame of a horse, uh, even into the fall, but he's gotten a lot stronger and filled out into his, into his frame. Um, I'm not sure that he's quite finished yet, but he's drawn into a beautiful, big,
0: big, strong horse now, you know? In February, Maxfield had resumed training, and you were saying publicly, skip the Derby, maybe try the Preakness, or maybe a softer spot. Now put aside for a moment the reason the schedule has been torn apart what did you think when you heard that the Kentucky Derby would be run in September
1: well for one I never really said we were going to skip the Derby Barry it was always on the cards it was just basically we were going to have to uh, go about it in a somewhat unorthodox way if, if we still went about it and I, you know basically I wasn't going to put the horse you know do something stupid for the sake of making the Derby is is what i meant you know and and Brian rushed the horse um off of the layoff but uh yeah for sure um when they decided to move it it was to our advantage yeah, it gave us more time and we were just able to uh to give the horse a chance and and now you know if if we end up in the derby we'll we'll have been able to go about it the way we wanted to uh to Barry so it didn't do us um any any harm at
0: all Let's go back to that breeder's futurity in October. What did you think when you saw that last to first move that he made?
1: It was quite uh it was quite spectacular all right you know i was was I surprised probably was yeah, um you know I mean, we thought the horse was very good, but that looked really good what he actually did for especially coming from a a two year old that had only run one time in the past, but you know that. This horse, he he he's tended to do stuff like that, and he tends to overcome some some problems as 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 good horses tend to do. And you know, he 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 did it that day, and it was very impressive. And uh, for you know, we didn't expect uh, him to do what he did as a two-year-old from the outset. I mean, like I said, we thought he was a good horse, but for him to win his maiden first time out was a slight surprise, and then to turn around and win a a grade one off the back of that three weeks later, um, I have to admit it was quite a a large, pleasant surprise.
0: Ran that final quarter in 24.65, which is really good for a juvenile. How have you and your staff handled the shutdown, the inability to race, and even to move among different tracks?
1: It's been tough, um, Barry, as it's been tough on on everybody. We've managed okay. Uh, we were lucky because we managed to get the horses out of New Orleans before the whole thing got really shut down there. Call it what you like, but we, we just felt that things weren't going the right way and we literally had them out of there a couple of days before everybody got stuck down there. So we got lucky there. You know, I was able to get them horses to Kentucky. And you know some of the horses from Florida we managed to get them up to Kentucky too, but the others were kind of when they closed doors in Kentucky. we were kind of the ones in Florida were kind of left down there, Barry, but at least we had racing in in Florida, and we had something to train them towards you know in kentucky we it 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 worked to our advantage a lot of them horses that were in the fairgrounds. They were running hard all winter, so a little bit of a freshening didn't do them any harm, and I can see it on them now they're they're looking uh, well and, and doing well. You know, the personnel, it's been hard on everybody, but the whole thing's been hard on, on everyone, and, and there's a lot more people have a lot bigger problems than what we had. So, you know, we've, we've managed to, to get through it, and hopefully we get back racing in Kentucky on Saturday and, and everything everywhere moves forward from there.
0: Trainer Brendan Walsh joining us here on In the Gate. He trains Kentucky Derby hopeful Maxfield, who's set to make his season debut in the Matt Wynn Stakes. Until not too long ago, you didn't know, A, that Churchill would even be able to run, B, which day this race would be held. Did you even have a plan B?
1: Uh I think I was like everybody. Uh, you know, the horse was still a little ways from being ready to run anyway. So my plan was, I, I kind of set a date in my mind from the middle of May with all of the horses. and I, I was, you know, call me Opal if you like, but thankfully it worked out good in the end. But I kind of had an inkling that that was what was going to happen as things went on. And, you know, the matwin was originally set for May 30th, I believe it was, a week later. So we didn't have a specific Race in mind, but then we found out that that the race was going to be uh may twenty third and it kind of it set into our program really well Gary so I guess yeah, it's worked out pretty good for him, you know he should be um about as ready as we can get him. I'm sure he's going to improve for for having run you know for having to run into that win but you know it's given us enough time to get him like i said to get him as ready as we can get him, so uh we'll hopefully we'll move forward from there.
0: Now, you worked in Dubai for years, and then last year you went to Dubai to qualify for the Kentucky Derby with Pluque Parfait, who won the UAE Derby. With Maxfield, Dubai came to you. Now, you obviously know Godolphin's accomplishments, and you know that the Kentucky Derby is about the only major race in the world that Sheikh Mohammed hasn't won. What does that mean to you as you train this horse?
1: It means, you know, it it has entered my my mind, Barry, because back in the day when when I was working for them, you know, which is is a long time ago now, it's like 15, 16 years ago, they were really, really trying their best to win the Kentucky Derby, you know, they, they put a lot of money into it and they bought some really nice horses and produced some really nice horses themselves as well, but... You know, looked like Derby types, but they they couldn't quite get it done, and it was a it was a major target. It still is a major target for them. You know, even even since then, you know they've they've always tried their very best to win it. We saw Thunder Snow a couple of years ago. You know, I mean, he would have been a very legitimate horse if if what happened hadn't happened. But that's uh, that's in the past now. But yeah, I mean, it means a lot to them. It's nice to have worked for them, Barry, and and to know that and to. To have maybe you know one of one of their better chances of, of winning the race now uh, this year, so yeah, it it has entered my mind, and it it would be fantastic to do it for them. You know, I've not even so much in Dubai, but even when I was in Ireland, I've worked for them guys on and off for years, and, and for people who've trained for them, etc. And uh, they're a fantastic entity, and, and Sheikh Mohammed is a is a great man. You know, not just. What they've done with racing, but what they've done with Dubai as a city in general, and and it would mean an awful lot to uh, to them and to me if we could do do good with his horse, and it would be unbelievable if we could do something like win a Derby.
0: Speaking of your fellow Irishman, the great Aidan O'Brien brought Mendelssohn to the Kentucky Derby. He finished last. It was the first time Aidan O'Brien had ever been at the Kentucky Derby itself. And the word he used to describe the running of the race was savage. A physical, bruising race, the type of which he had never experienced in person. I say that because Sheikh Mohammed, in his halcyon days when you were there, brazenly wanted to train a derby winner in Dubai and then ship him over to win that race. Knowing what you've seen now, do you think such a thing is possible? Um...
1: It's possible, Barry, when you say that, you mean to bring one to Dubai
0: and then bring him back? No, to train in Dubai and then ship over with like a couple of weeks before to run and win in the Kentucky Derby.
1: I I think it. it's... I wouldn't say it wasn't a possibility. I mean, we brought Plus Q last year to to Dubai and, and I thought he ran a good race in the Derby after he... You know, I think with the right horse... You know, it wouldn't be a complete impossibility, but it it, it does make it very hard because you're, um, you know, I think horses like what Aidan said about about the race, and you think about all that. You you really have to have a horse seasoned for it. It's very difficult to come off of a another program, you know, be it a European or a or a Dubai program. But I think if you have the right horse, it's not it's not a complete impossibility. No. I, I think if you have the right horse and things were to go right, you know, I don't think it's completely impossible, but it, it does make it a lot harder because you're coming from a different program, a different style of racing to an extent, and uh, and then you've got all the travel as well. But uh, is it an impossibility? Absolutely not.
0: You've worked for a number of top trainers and top outfits, Godolphin, of course, and here in the States, trainer Eddie Keneally among them. So certainly they taught you how to train top-level horses. Did these people prepare you for the media onslaught that could follow if Maxfield blossoms here in the spring and summer? I think that's, I think
1: very, you know, we were around a lot of it in Godolph and I was never in a position where I uh, got at the onslaught of, of the media, but of course you, you read all these things, but, you know... <sighs> I think anybody that's got a, a Derby horse or a derby favourite for the first time, it's it's going to be new to them to a point. I mean, we obviously had plus Q last year and there was a lot of following for him and and the fact that he had won in Dubai and all that. Now is it the same context as Maxfield may turn out to be? Probably not. But, you know, I think everybody you ask anybody that's that's, you know, young younger trainer that when they came with their first real good shot of, of winning the Derby, you know everybody's had to cope with it, but it's it's exciting because he's had a lot of following in that, and uh, you know a lot of people interested. So it's 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 nice, you know. But we just take it as it comes, and uh, hopefully it comes because I think if it does, then it's a good sign. It's a sign that the horse is uh, is thriving and doing well.
0: Certainly so, and we wish you the best of luck going forward down the Derby trail with him, Brendan Walsh. Thank you so much for a few minutes. Thank you, Barry. We'll we'll talk to you soon. What will the new normal be in racing when the big tracks start back up? It's already starting to happen that way in Europe, so we'll go there to get a look when we come back. Welcome back to In The Gate. Before we get to our discussion on how our friends across the pond are getting back to racing, or not, as the case may be, I want to pass along to you some bullet points from a discussion I had involving one of our recent podcasts. In late March, we featured a story about some of the first residents of the state of New Jersey to lose their lives to COVID-19. They were part of the harness racing community. One of them was John Brennan, an official working at Yonkers Raceway. He was the first official New Jersey resident to die from the virus. And then there was the Fusco family. Four members of that family died within two weeks from COVID-19, and among them were Carmine and Vincent Fusco, both harness trainers. A man claiming to be John Brennan's nephew, we could not independently confirm that he was, said that we had incorrectly stated that Mr. Brennan had come into contact with the Fuscos at Yonkers Raceway. The man with whom I spoke claimed that Brennan had had no contact with Carmine or Vincent Fusco, either at the track or away from the track. I don't think anyone can prove the answer definitively either way, but when I asked the gentleman on the phone why it mattered whether there was contact or not, the man would not elaborate. He just adamantly repeated that there was no contact between Mr. Brennan and the Fuscos. It is worth noting now, as it was then, that Carmine Fusco served a five-year ban from the sport, starting in 2012, for multiple drug offenses involving his horses. So I'm not exactly sure what we've cleared up by passing these details along, but you can make of it what you will. As with many recent advances in civilized society, from music to food to ideas for television programs, change often happens first in Europe. And sure enough, in horse racing, while American tracks that shut down due to the pandemic are just getting up and running again, some European ones have already begun the process. German racing resumed on Wednesday, May 6th at Hanover, followed by Cologne and Munich. France Gallup started staging events at Paris Longchamp, home of the Arc de Triomphe, a week later. Of course, the biggest shoe to drop across the pond would be British racing. The earliest they can run is June 1st, the day targeted by Prime Minister Boris Johnson for Phase 2 of his plan to reopen the United Kingdom. Phase 2 includes sporting and cultural events for broadcast, with no spectators on site. But since there is actual horse racing already restarting, let's get a sense of how it's going from both a safety standpoint and a business standpoint by welcoming in here to win the gate for the first time Chris Baker, a racing handicapper and analyst based in the UK. Great to have you here, Chris. So first of all, what are you hearing about how reopening these tracks and staging these races have gone from a COVID-19 safety perspective?
2: Yeah, the reports so far are that the measures that have been put in place have had a real big effect. You know, it's very different for those that are in attendance, very different for the jockeys, very different for the trainers, the media. You know, apparently you can hear a pin drop as the horses cross the line. But the strict measures in place to make sure that it's as safe as possible for those that are taking part.
0: Here in the States, Oaklawn Park in Arkansas, one of five tracks running in all of North America at the time, twice broke its single day all sources handle including more than doubling its record on Arkansas Derby Day. Oakland took in 41 million U.S. that day. Their record had been 19 million, set a couple of weeks earlier. What kinds of figures have you seen for Germany and France?
2: I'm not sure on the actual figures, but but people are desperate for live sport. You know, here in the U.K., the the lockdown has apparently had quite an impact on people's mental health, you know, being forced to stay inside, and the live sport really does have an appeal to lots of people from from just the enjoyment of watching the sport and betting on the sport. But of course, horse racing is is a key industry and you know, in the UK, it contributes 4 billion to the economy. And and so there's this real balance about the need to get the economy back on track versus public health and, and safety of the nation. So in France and Germany, for example, in terms of the, the, the measures being taken, it's what you'd expect. Now, I, I'd suggest that in Germany, it seems to be slightly more relaxed their restrictions were eased recently and in in top level footballs restarting at the weekend of course there's the usual things like masks and social distancing france it, it appears to be more strict there is the threat from the government to revoke the license if these strict measures aren't adhered to so, yeah, in, in terms of figures, I'm not sure, but in terms of popularity, it's certainly gone down very well. And, you know, looking at Australia and Hong Kong, TV viewing figures are, are very high for the for the meetings there because, you know, the people sat at home, they want something to watch, they want something to look forward to, they want something to enjoy.
0: I believe I read something that Swedish harness racing is reporting a six-fold increase in international betting during the shutdown. That is staggering. The big enchilada, of course, will be racing in the UK. And as we mentioned, June 1st is the earliest that racing can start up there. So let's start with some races that matter most to American racing fans, the Royal Ascot races and the Derby and Oaks particularly with the Royal Ascot races, can you explain, Chris, how important it is that those races happen at a specific time of the year, namely June?
2: Well, yeah, Boris Johnson issued an update outlining this, this first of June date. That, that, of course, is only if the spread of the virus is controlled. So that first of June isn't guaranteed. Now, there's a, there's a strong... A sort of a strong argument, a strong opinion within the industry that racing can continue and it should resume as quickly as possible. So, in terms of those those key dates, the first of June actually came as a blow to to the resumption of Racing Group. That's a committee that's looking at getting the race planning organised because they'd kind of put a best case scenario forward to racing starting at the end of May with the classic trials, the two thousand one thousand Guinness at the start of June, meaning that Royal Ascot that you've mentioned, could go ahead as planned in mid-June. Now, that that would leave a couple of weeks between beginners and, and Royal Ascot. It, it allows horses to get a prep race in before that huge meeting at Ascot, which you know, it's confirmed it will go ahead behind closed doors, obviously. But they're really keen to keep that date in plan. Now, in terms of American interest, you've got Wesley Ward, of course, who's got a fantastic record at Royal Ascot, 10 winners since 2009, including the likes of Lady Aurelia. No name, never Acapulco. Now, he's renowned for his two year old runners over in this country. But there's a lot of uncertainty about the two-year-old races that there's talk even of the two-year-old races being scrapped altogether because the you know we're against the clock with getting a prep run into them there is of course no guarantee that the horses would be able to travel because it'd be no surprise if travel restrictions were were upped or changed so Wesley Ward has, has identified some of his older horses as having the best chance so the exciting sprinter four-wheel drive being aimed at the king stand and Kamari. Being aimed at the Commonwealth Cup now, both of those ran in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint, and it'd be really, really fantastic if if those horses could come over and contest Royal Ascot. But really it really is still up in the air. So as things stand, racing will resume on the first of June, but it's it, it could all change. And you mentioned those key races: you've got Royal Ascot, the Oaks, and the Derby. That they've been talked about as possible dates in July now but there's there's an issue with that in the Epsom, the race course that hosts the Oaks and the Derby is a public space. And so special dispensation has had to be gained in order to close off the course so that the public can't access it. And so that the racing can go ahead. So there's so much going on behind the scenes in order to get this race program of, of the classics and the other prestigious racers back up and running. Now that's all going to be really squeezed and, no one knows what that's going to look like from the end of the season, but as a, as a fan of the sport, it's going to make it very exciting to have these huge Group One races and prestigious races all taking space, all taking place sorry in a short space of time. The dispensation has now been gained, so so it will be fenced off for 24 hours, allowing the Oaks and the Derby to take place on the same
0: day. I believe it's going to be a seven-race card. And I heard it might even be July 4th, a day that has some significance here in the United States. Now, here in America, horses live and are trained at the track. In the U.K., horses often live at their trainers' homes. Literally, many trainers have large tracts of land where they live, and behind the house is a barn or a series of barns for their horses. Now, obviously, that makes it easier to train them because you can control who's coming onto your property. But here in the States grooms and hot walkers already live at the track in dormitories so they're already on the grounds all day and all night with that not being the case in the UK does that make it harder to convince governments to allow the staging of races possibly
2: that John Gosden you know the leading trainer who'd be well known to your listeners in the states he spoke this week about Newmarket, which is one of is it's the biggest racing town in in England, there are two and a half thousand horses training there daily, observing strict social distancing measures they The trainers and the trainers are absolutely convinced that they can do this that this will work, that racing can resume, and it should resume and, so, and John Gosden and some of the other leading trainers have said that actually being at the race course will be much safer than going to the supermarket or going to the petrol station because of the strict measures that are in place, the strict safety measures, the fact that it's a non-contact sport, the fact that there'll be a very limited number of people on track, you know, it's it's behind closed doors. And as I said, they, they really have stuck the neck out and said that being at the race course will be safer than going about your daily business because Everything's in place. So I, I don't think they'd have a, a tough job persuading the government and, you know, all being well, this will resume on the 1st of June with, with strict procedures in place. And in, in terms of those procedures, I think the gold standard really has been set by Hong Kong Um, You know, the the jockey club in Hong Kong and the government have worked really closely together to create this sort of racing bubble. And there's been high praise for all those involved. And by all accounts, it's down to a complete commitment from all those that are taking part to to make it work. And the procedures in place in Hong Kong are really strict. You've, of course, got the, the standard things that happen in every country, like masks. Temperature checks stringent social distancing is mandatory you've got limited officials on course, but in Hong Kong, the jockeys are being tested four times a week they have to to wear masks for all racing activity, not just pre race they even have to submit a form of intended activity for the next day so that that can be vetted by biosecurity experts so hong kong really have set the standard high i think a lot of the other countries will have been in contact with the jockey club in hong kong to take on board some of their ideas because it's really quite impressive how they kept the show going now of course in hong kong they are helped by the fact that there are only two meetings a week. There's only 22 trainers, 20 jockeys based very much around one site. So that does help. But then you've got Australia who have carried on as well. Slightly different protocols in between the different states, but they've been quite strict with jockey segregation, no movement between states. Interestingly, the the jockeys in Australia have to shower for five minutes before uh, sorry, as they arrive at the race course. Now, that's in direct contradiction to one of the ideas been put forward in this country, where the jockey club here have, have announced that the, the jockeys will not be able to use saunas or showers because they believe there's some scientific evidence that shows that that could um, spread the disease. Um, so that's, you know, in these countries, you've got many similarities, but there are some differences as well.
0: I feel bad for Ollie Bell having to interview the jockeys if they haven't showered at all. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) British racing, you were talking about how the uh, two-year-olds may not have the prep And how can you run them at Royal Ascot? Well, British racing is also known for its long-distance prizes, most notably the two-mile Ascot Gold Cup, which is the centerpiece of the final day of Royal Ascot Saturday. Each year, Stradivarius winning in 2019, his second straight Gold Cup and all the hoopla that went with that. Would horses be able to run two miles in June after the shutdown? Or when would they be ready for such staying races? Yes, good question. Again, going back to what I said earlier, The training of horses,
2: by all accounts, has taken place as normal with strict social distancing procedures. So the trainers are saying that their horses are fit and ready to run. Now, of course, race fitness is a slightly different thing. But if Royal Ascot was to take place at its allocated slot in the middle of June, that would give a couple of weeks for trainers to get a prep run or, or possibly what, what one thing that happens in this country is a race course gallop. So it's not, it's not a trial, it's not a race, but it's a day out at the races for the horse and um, where they experience the parade ring, they experience the track. And so it might be that we see quite a lot of race course gallops, but uh, you know, John Gosden, again speaking yesterday, did he seemed to think that even if Royal Ascot was run at its normal time, there would just about be time to get a prep run into, into the stairs. Of course, some horses go well fresh anyway, so training is is key. And as I said, the trainers are convinced that their horses are ready to run, that their staff are ready to be there. With all these measures in place, it is going to be as safe as it possibly can be.
0: We ask this because, as of this recording, the New York Racing Association here in the States is wrestling with what to do about the Belmont Stakes, the third leg of the American Triple Crown, which is a grueling mile and a half on dirt, and New York is not sure that they can run it at that distance if it's run any time during the summer because horses haven't had a chance to build up to it. I don't know what difference you think there is between turf and dirt when it comes to preparing a horse to run that far. But as you say, you know, it can be quite grueling on dirt, can't it? And, you know, there's so much up in the
2: air and all these decisions, key decisions being made by government and racing authorities – they will get things right. They'll get things wrong. The opinion is very split in England about how the government have handled this crisis. You've got some people saying it's a disgrace. You've got some people saying it's been handled really well. And it's the same with everything. Whatever decision is made, you know, it'll only be hindsight that will tell us whether it was the right decision or not and there's so many what-ifs, it's really difficult time. As a a fan of the sport, it will be fantastic to get it back up and running if it's completely safe to do so, if everything's in place to do so, because if that's not the case, if countries start going against what the government are advising, they they start squabbling with him,
0: which is clearly not happening in in the likes of Hong Kong, then that's going to help nobody. When you speak to somebody on the other side of the pond about this, you realize we really are all in it together. So thank you so much for a few minutes, and we wish everyone in Europe and everyone here in the States the strength to do the right thing and get this done properly. Thank you so much, Chris. Not a problem. Thank you very much. Our thanks once again to Chris Baker and to Brendan Walsh. It was just a matter of time before the coronavirus outbreak would show up in some thoroughbred horses' names. Perhaps you've seen the internet clip of a fictitious race that features all kinds of virus satirical naming games. But now we see the first such gag in a real live thoroughbred racehorse. His name is Fauci, an impossible one to ignore. He's trained by Wesley Ward, who hopes the horse will socially distance by winning his races by six-foot margins or more. It surely won't be long before coronavirus names show up across the rest of the racing world, much like that internet clip we mentioned. But what will it make you think when off-announcers' tongues those names are unfurled? Will you snicker, guffaw, or will you grow despondent and remember all the chaos we've endured? Those names will surely pass restrictions on allowable racehorse names, but will they make you say good job or good lord? You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app, and please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. And if we're not careful, some of those who find us might be those geniuses at America's Best Racing, and maybe they'll include us in their Fan Choice Awards for Best Podcast in November. Well, yeah, and maybe men will start having babies. You can get me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We hope you're safe and healthy as you listen to this, and we'll see you next time.